Christmas shopping. One very uh, expensive and noticeable gift that's famous in history is the Statue of Liberty, given from the French government to the U.S. as a means of strengthening the bonds between the two countries. Another famous gift in history I found is some friends of Harry S. Truman, uh, who were from Missouri. They funded the first White House bowling alley. There you go, Kenny, our resident bowler. 1947, it was put in the West Wing, friends of Harry Truman. What a good gift. Katy Perry gave her ex-husband a $200,000 trip to space on Virgin Galactic. I don't know if she was trying to get rid of him forever at that point or what. Kanye West gave Kim Kardashian 10 Burger King franchises in Europe. Not sure what to do with that. Famous gifts, Joe DiMaggio. It was said that Marilyn Monroe was the love of his life, and he sent, he hired a contractor with a florist to send six long-stemmed red roses three times a week, actually to her grave, after she died. And for 20 years, he sent those flowers, paid for those flowers to be delivered three times a week to her grave in memorial. The Taj Mahal, one of the seven wonders of the world, was a gift, again, a memorial uh, from an emperor to his beloved wife who died giving birth to their 14th child. 14th child, so Taj Mahal, wonder of the world. King Manuel of uh, Portugal gave Pope Leo X upon his coronation, does anybody know what he gave a white elephant named Hanno. A white elephant, very rare, and, and an elephant made the trek to Rome, and King uh, Pope Leo X enjoyed that elephant, showing it off, and that was his pet elephant. So there you go, some ideas for Christmas gifts if you're still doing your shopping. If none of those tickles your fancy, how about this one? Y'all aren't going to catch this on camera. <laughs> one of the most epic gifts so far this Christmas season, a pair of socks with fried eggs on them. I love it. I wore it just in honor of today's message, the gift giver. Today's passage, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, a beloved part of our Christmas narrative in the Gospels, and I think the gift giving is a central theme, and I want us to consider it today. So let's begin by reading that passage, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, Report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. The star, which they had seen in the east, 
went on before them until he came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This story tells us about a group of men who I call the unlikely gift givers. Here are the Magi, the unlikely gift givers. Now, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem during the Roman census. You know this. And Herod was the king of Israel at that time. And he was a Jew, but he was not a good man. And here are these, what the Bible would consider pagans, Gentiles, non-Jews. These Magi, where we get the word magician from, you know, we don't know exactly at that time when the Magi were always involved in being a Magi, but most believe that this was a religious caste of probably wealthy, well-to-do Persian men who were also astrologers. You know, they looked at the stars in the skies and, and tried to figure out what was going on. It was a bit of a mix of religion and, so to speak, science. Some say they were priests. Other times we, we view them as kings. The song, We Three Kings of Orient are. We often call them wise men. Certainly they were learned in their own uh, studies and in, in astrology. We know that they had a sophisticated knowledge of the heavenly luminaries. And as they're watching and, and, and looking up into the skies and studying the things, they see a new star that has appeared and this new star is announcing they come to understand the birth of a newborn king, a king of the Jews. You know, it's a bit baffling, and I've read fairly widely about this half several times, and, and wondering about, was this a brand new star that got created? Just a normal kind of star? Some say it was a comet, like Halley's Comet. Some say it was the alignment of planets. In reality, we don't know. I just take it that it was a star. It was a heavenly body that appeared to show them that something was happening. That God was doing something. And somehow God revealed to them correctly the significance of this star. That indeed, a new king of the Jews had been born. And they understood that. And they left their home. And they go as a royal delegation to Israel. And in fact, again, probably wealthy, probably of the royal court, the reason we think that is because they get an audience with King Herod. And they say, we have seen this star that this king of the Jews has been born. Can you tell us where he might be? And so Herod, you know, he consults with the religious, the, the scribes, and, and all the people who know the Old Testament prophecies. And they deduce that it would be in Bethlehem, there in Judah, in southern Israel, that the Messiah was to be born. And so Herod helps them. So it would seem, so that they could find the Messiah. So they leave, and they go towards Bethlehem. Now, as I read it, maybe the star had kind of hung in one place. I don't know. But at this point, the star seems to reappear, or again, helps them to navigate to the exact place, to the house where Jesus, this Christ child, is with his mother. We don't know how long. Probably had been a couple of years. Herod asked them, when did the star appear? We know later in the story that Herod is going to order the slaughter of these infant males below two years. So, so Jesus is probably 
somewhere between one and two years old. We're not for sure, but that's what it would seem. But when they find the Christ child, it says they open up their treasures. I, I envision treasure chests. And they give gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, these costly, precious metals, valuable resources, things frankincense and myrrh that were used in religious ceremonies, that were used as perfumes, that were used in incense, some say even in medicines. But these were valuable, costly gifts. What are we to make of this group of magi giving gifts to this newborn king? I would say this first and foremost, just trying to read the Bible for what it's telling us, that this act is the fulfillment of at least two Old Testament passages or prophecies about the coming king from God. The first one is in Psalm 72. I'll read you a little excerpt of it. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him, and the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. A little more specific prophecy that pointed to the coming king hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, before this event transpired. Listen to what Isaiah 60 verses 5 through 6 says as it prophesies something about this coming king that God would send. It says, The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you. The camels of Midian and Ephah and from Sheba will come, and they will bring gold and frankincense and bear good news of the praises of the Lord. This act of worship by the Magi who have come from the east is a fulfillment of very specific Messianic prophecies that indeed this Christ child, this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem to peasant parents is the king that God would send. And I think that Matthew expects as he's writing to a Jewish audience primarily, and we can understand today that this Jesus coming in this way, in fulfilling all of these prophecies, and even having these pagan Gentile magicians, if you will, would come in and would worship him and bring him gifts. Just one more proof that Jesus is the Messiah. So I think that's what we're to understand primarily from this passage. But I will say secondarily, as I was studying this, and, and the story really got me thinking about gift giving. The meaning and the heart behind giving gifts. Have you ever thought much about gift giving? Why? This is something that people do in all times and places and cultures. It is as old as people are, this idea of giving gifts, this practice that we do, and that is so prominent in front and center here at Christmas time. Why do we give gifts? Should we give gifts? How? Should we give gifts specifically then as Christians? And, and I'll say, you know, I've kind of been all over the spectrum as far as, you know, should Christians really get overwrapped up in all of the presence and the materialism and all of that kind of thing? I'm not going to lie to you. I love, I love getting gifts. <laughs> giving gifts is a blessing. And yes, we can talk about the origins of Christmas and they replacing pagan holidays and all of that. But what I would say to you is that gift giving is right at the heart of Christianity. And so I think there are some enlightening things as we ask some questions about should we give gifts and how should we. And, and examining the meaning and the heart behind giving gifts. Some things that I pulled from this story that I just wanted to share with you this morning. And the first one is 
that the Magi's gifts were associated with an act of personal worship. It says this, that when they saw the child with his mother, that they worshipped. They bowed low and they gave gifts. This gold and frankincense and myrrh was, was associated with their worship. Now, you can read about this story and people trying to pull out all kinds of meanings. You know that gold is a gift for a king and all of this. And while there's some interesting things that you can read about that, I want to go a little bit deeper and not ask the question, what does gold represent and frankincense and myrrh, but just what's up with the gift giving? What does it mean? What were they trying to do? And what can we learn from it? And I would say it's associated with an act of personal worship. To worship means this. As they give gifts and they're worshiping, worship means to ascribe worth and value to the one or the thing being worshipped. It's to say this. You, this is valuable. It is worthy of my attention and my affections and my sacrifice. It is worthy. That's where the word comes from. Worship. Worship. It is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Alright? It's to say that this is valuable. One of the ways that we express our appreciation and our value and our love and our treasuring of Jesus of the Lord, of God Himself, is in giving. It's in giving. We see this all through the Old Testament that worship, there was, it was bound up with you know, sacrifices and free will offerings and giving. Even in the New Testament, we see that. Hey, listen, in all religions, in all irreligions, what is, the reality is that we long to give and express ourselves to show what we find valuable. Right? So worship is to say something is worthy of us, of our hearts, and of our very lives. One of the ways that we show the world what is valuable to us is giving ourselves to something. So giving to God, giving to Jesus, I think it is a way that we express our heart and our valuation of Him. In a similar way, I think that we could take that and go, you know, we don't worship people. But in giving gifts, we are expressing and saying to someone, you're worthwhile. You matter to me. I'm glad that you're in my life. You're meaningful. You count. I appreciate you. I value you. I love you. I respect you. Giving gifts is just a way, a tangible way to say that. To others. I think that it's a good thing is to say, you matter. You're of worth to me. So when we give generously, we can do that to God to show that He is our ultimate treasure, and we can say to other people, you matter. So worship teaches us that from this story. Secondly, I think that we see, and this is related, we see that giving is associated with personal humility. Personal humility. Here you have these magi. Again, probably upper crust, educated, royal party type folks. And they come into Bethlehem. This, and they're probably in a fairly crude type place. Probably a dirt floor. And they come in and they bow down with their faces to the ground. They prostrate themselves. They go down to their faces before the Lord Jesus. They bowed low to the ground. 
You know, bowing low is a sign of humility. It's to place ourselves below or beneath or underneath another person. And I would say to you that humility is a noble virtue. And we see that in these men. Even though they weren't quote-unquote Christian or Jews, they were men of nobility. And they understood the value of humbling themselves. And it's vividly displayed in that. So I want you just to picture that. I want you to picture these probably Persian men dressed in costly garments coming before a little bitty baby who is Christ the Lord and going down with their faces in the dirt before this little child. They humbled themselves before the Lord. It's interesting. These men who humbled and prostrated themselves before the Christ child, what were they? They were stargazers. They were men that made their living. They consumed themselves with looking at the stars and all the heavenly bodies. And I'll tell you what, I think that's interesting that, that these were men of humility. I think that very few things humble us and help us to see our place in the world and the universe more than just looking up. Do you, do you ever do that? Do you ever just stop on a clear night? You, you know, you gotta, you got to get outside. Well, you don't have to, I guess you can look through the window. And just take a minute to look up. Anybody done that lately? You should do that. For one thing, people think you're crazy. So do it, do it when you're alone. You, know, you look out. And I, I was doing this just the other day. And uh, you'll really think I'm crazy if I tell you what I thought I saw. But I'm going to tell you. But anyway, I'm looking up. And I see these lights. And, and there was this light moving. I don't think it was a star like this. I think it was an airplane. But, but once I got, got my gaze fixed, I just begin to kind of count and th think about Good grief. Look at all of that. Very few things will humble you and help you to realize that you are just really not the center of it all. That's when you look up and see all that God has made. In fact, Psalm 8, David does this very thing and he says this, When I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you have ordained. Here's what David says. I think that, man, what is man that you are mindful of him? Very few things will humble you in that way to think of you are just one thing, one being among millions and millions and millions of things that God has created. So I think these were guys of humility just by the very fact that they realized that there is so much out in this universe and I'm not the center of it. I am not the sun around which all of the rest of the world orbits. I'm not. I'm not the center of it all. Humility. I think another thing that does this for us is not just looking up at the stars, but it's just practicing generosity. It's just thinking about others and coming beneath them, coming underneath them, realizing that you're just as valuable as I am in the sight of God. You know, it's just giving. And generosity fosters this same type of mindset. That we are not the center of everything. So giving is actually a way that helps keep us where we need to be. It keeps us humble. With that said, I think this story also provides us a little bit of a warning in contrast to that humility from which 
giving should emanate. And here is the warning. It's that our giving can be tainted by pride. It can be motivated by pride. Where did I get that from the story? Actually from King Herod. King Herod. When the Magi come and they want his help, he's like, yeah, I'll help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get you some information here because I want to worship too. And so he gets the information. But why does he do it? Are his motives pure? Does he really want to worship Jesus? No, he wants to kill him. Herod is a man who is consumed by pride and self. Attaining power and keeping power. And so he offers some gift of help. But really, it's all about self-protection. Herod obviously was infected with pride. I'll tell you, that's a reminder that every one of us is in danger. Because this is the human condition. To want more, to want to exalt ourselves, to consume things for the lust of the flesh, to gain whatever our eye sees, even the pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And this is the infection of the human race. And I would just say to you that even in our gift giving, we can be motivated by pride instead of by humility and the good of another. How does that happen? Well, here's an evidence of maybe that pride is what's uh, fueling our giving. It's that we give in order to receive. We, I give to you in hopes that you're going to give back to me. That comes from pride. Giving that comes from pride gives to control people. It's to maintain a level of control over someone else or to manipulate someone to do something that we want them to do. So we give. And it appears to be a kind and generous act, but in reality, it's self-serving. So we can give that way and be wrong-headed and wrong-hearted in our giving. I would just say, here's another one. Giving grudgingly. Giving grudgingly instead of out of a generous heart. It's just to say, oh, man, my humbug. Why did I have to do this? I was, I was reading about this. Let me see if I can think of it. That's why I make notes because I can't remember anything. I was researching giving and I came across in the early 1900s a group of women who started, what was it called? The Society something to, to prevent useless giving. Basically, they just felt like giving gifts at Christmas, by and large, was a totally useless waste of money, and they didn't want to have to do it anymore. So they started this society, I think it was called SPUG, Society for the Prevention of Useless Giving. Someone pull out your phone, check me on that. True story, true story. Useless giving. You know, it's to go, why do I have to do that? I was reading a little further about that because it intrigued me. One of the things that appeared motivated this was these ladies were ladies, actually, they were working ladies, and they were being compelled to give to a pool to buy their bosses gifts. And they felt like that was useless. Shouldn't have to be compelled to do that. So they're like, you know, we should just be done with this. And I tell you, we get all caught up in the hustle and bustle, and it is, it can be very draining at Christmas time. I think I read that the average person purchases and gives 24 gifts 
away. And you know, every one of those we're trying to pick the perfect gift or it's right in the price range, you know. I, to me, the only useless gift we give at Christmas is those dirty Santa ones. Right? But now, that's the most fun. But the dirty Santa deal, I mean, in reality, think about how much useless garbage is given at the dirty, dirty Santa. You know, and, and my big thing with these little gift exchange deals, you know, the men in, in our family, the men have got their little deal, and, and we exchange, and the women have got theirs. I'm like, man, it, I struggle to find something besides ratchet straps, wrenches, you know, bungee cords, hunting knives. Those are pretty much the same thing that you get. But I got a really good one this year. But I'll tell you, honestly, it's a useless piece of plastic. <laughs> useless gifting. But we go into this and we get drained by all of this and, and before we know it, man, we kind of begrudge the whole thing. And I would just say that that is a great sign that our heart is not where it should be. Our gift giving should be done because we want to. Because it comes from the heart. It's a way of expressing our value another person. The last thing in this story I want to point out to you that we see, and I think this is really central, is we see the Messiah in this story as both gift and giver. Did you know that God himself is a giver? The Bible says that God delights to give good gifts. And in the sending of his son, we see that God is motivated out of compassion for our lost condition, out of love for those who He's created, and He sent Jesus, His Son, because He longs to have a friendship and a relationship with us. Jesus comes in the flesh as a peace offering from God to say, I love you and I care about you. God is a giver and God is the gift. This story is about Yes, the gift of the Magi for Jesus. But ultimately, we should see this, that God is the main giver in this story. Jesus, you know who He is? He is Emmanuel, God with us. God didn't believe that the very best He could send was a Hallmark card. That was a commercial from years ago. When you, isn't that what they said? When you want to send the very best, send Hallmark. That's not the best. The very best that God could send to us in our lost and lonely and wayward condition is Himself. And He left heaven and He came to us to live among us, to save us, and to bring us into His family. And the Bible teaches that Jesus in His coming, in His life, and in His death, and in His resurrection, He offers us a gift that we must receive. The gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness. You know, the Bible says that salvation is not something we earn. It's not something that we're due. But it's something that we receive as a gift. For you're saved by grace through faith. And this is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. And I tell you today, I just want us to see again that Jesus' coming is an unwarranted gift of ultimate compassion, love, family, and friendship, giving Himself to us. But we have to receive it. We have to receive the gift of Jesus by faith. I want to close with maybe three or four applications. 
uh, some points of personal challenge. And the first would be this. I want to invite you to see what the Magi saw. That Jesus coming 2,000 years ago is heaven breaking through to earth. It's God sending His Son to save us. I want to invite you to receive the greatest gift that you could ever be offered. And that is Jesus. That is salvation. That is God in your life. Not just a sterile gift. Look past the gift and look to the giver and see that salvation is God with us. When you come to Christ, He doesn't leave you an orphan and He doesn't leave you alone. He comes to reside in your life and in your heart, in you, through His Holy Spirit. So receive Jesus today. Open that gift that's the heart of this story. Second little application I'd like to give you this is, how about a heart check? How about a heart check right here in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of Christmas? Are you giving from a humble heart that values others? I'll tell you, that's one of the things that we, we truly do live in such a materialistic age that our giving seems to be all about, number one, a pragmatism. Is this something they can use? You know, there's people in our lives it's really hard to shop for because they seem to have everything, and we want to give them something that they can use or something they don't have. Hey, folks, look beyond the gift. Recognize, I mean, what do you think Jesus did with gold, frankincense, and myrrh as a little child? Same thing every little kid does. Dumps, a, dumps the gift and plays with the box. Right? They, they were really no utility at that point. They're just gifts. It's the gift. I mean, it's the, it's the giving. It's not the thing. So don't get too wrapped up in the thing. Alright? But as you're going and shopping, and, and I'll tell you, this was a correction for me because the way I do Christmas is, I say, good luck with me. <laughs> Hope you get something good for everybody. I'm more surprised on Christmas Day, you know, the gifts that come from me, right? Because she's doing it. And I, in preparing for this, I, it was just a heart check. It's like, do I even take time to think about those closest to me? Or do I just go, ah, I'll just get a gift card. I'll just get something and, and, and put the receipt in it. And they can take it back and get what they really want. I mean, hey, y'all know you do that. I'm not the only one. And so, you know, I just thought, because I'm a famously bad gift giver. I gave a trash can for Christmas once. All right? But I just thought about this. I thought, I'm going to really try to think about it. And, and as I'm shopping and thinking and buying, even if it's a piece of junk gift, I'll tell you this, it's going to come from my heart. Because it's going to be a token of my heart. It's not about the thing, but it's about the love that I have for this person. And so, I tell you, that, that's one way that maybe it'll change us from a Scrooge as we're doing our Christmas shopping, is we just think about that person that we're buying for. And maybe pray as you're walking down crowded uh, Walmart aisles. Just picture that person. Pray for them. Lord, I, I just pray for this person today. As I'm shopping for them, that they would receive this gift. Not as some token that's going to be broken or fade away, but that they would truly receive the love and understand how much they mean to me. So that's just a way maybe to, to do a little heart check in your giving and in your shopping. 
Hey, flip side, some of you kids. Some of you are going to open up presents, and you're going to be so excited, and you're going to hate it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I, again, I, I know I'm a horrible person. I cried about a pair of shoes I got for Christmas once because they weren't the right ones. You know, like I wanted the Air Jordans with the air holes, and I got the cheap knockoff Nikes, and I cried about it. Not cool, man. <laughs> Receive the gift. Hey, hey, but look past the gift and look to the giver. Understand that every gift that you receive is an act of love and appreciation for you. Here's my third challenge for you. So check your heart. You know, maybe the third challenge for us, should, and this is a big one, don't worry so much about the gifts. What if you bought a couple of less gifts, and instead of you know spending five hours at the Walmart checkout line, you just took a couple of those hours and you went and spent that time with the person. I know around the holidays, one of the things that I sit around and watch is how much of the hustle and bustle goes on. And I mean, we spend months gearing up for this and the ladies are cooking for days on end. And then I watch and go, how much actual conversation goes on? Or are we so busy in all of it that we totally lose the people? You know, Jesus, part of the gift was he just came to us. It appears to me, now again, no, no doom and gloom here, you know, but I just, I, I do read the news and I listen to people and I watch what's going on. I tell you, if the news can be trusted at all, and maybe it can, I mean, here we go again with some of the COVID stuff. And they're going to try to shut down certain things and they're telling people don't go to Christmas. Hey, you know, and you do what you got to do. But I would say this, if you feel like you need to not go out and be around people. Find a way to connect with people. Realize that there are folks who are going to stay in this Christmas because they are scared of getting sick. What's a way that you can connect with them personally and be like Jesus? Try to incarnate love. Just, I mean, be a friend. Spend time with people. Let me challenge you. Whatever way that looks like in your life. Spend less time in frantic shopping and more time in conversation and being with the people that you love. Alright? So don't fret over the stuff. Don't fret over the stuff. Check your heart. And let whatever you do, whatever you can give, hey, maybe you're in a financial crunch this year and you can't give the gifts that you normally give. So make something. But let it come from the heart. That's what God did for us. He sent himself. He came for you and for me. Out of love and compassion. And to me, that's what the story is all about. Christmas is a great reminder of love and compassion and the good of giving and receiving. Yes. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to close with John bringing our announcements. Father, today I thank you for this story of Christmas, which is really where all of our hope is found. And the fact that you came for us in our lost condition to save us in a world full of darkness, hatred, and pride. And you come and you show us the way. And we see that really our hearts are so wayward at times. We become overwhelmed with pride. 
Lord, give us humility. Help us to see what's true and good and beautiful about you, about Jesus, and about this season. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal wounds, that you would mend fractures, that you would restore and reunite families, and that you would cause in our lives the blossoming of new friendships and new connections with other people through this season as we're mindful of just being present wherever we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.